0: Hello, thanks for listening to this Aspen podcast discussing the paper, A Multi-Oil Intravenous Lipid Emulsion with Fish Oil, Clinical Outcomes and Red Blood Cell Membrane Polyunsaturated Fatty Acids in Extremely Low Birthweight Infants. My name is Kenneth Christopher and I am Editor-in-Chief of JPen. Today I am delighted to welcome Dr. Kara Calkins from the Department of Pediatrics, Division of Neonatology at David Geffen School of Medicine in Los Angeles. Dr. Calkins is a neonatologist and clinical scientist who serves on the editorial board of JPN. Dr. Calkins is senior author of the JPN article, which we will discuss. Dr. Calkins, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: You're most welcome. The first thing I'd like to ask you is what motivated you to do the study?
1: Great question. In the neonatology community, there's still a lot of controversy, as there is in other communities, about what the most optimal IV lipid emulsion is, particularly for extremely preterm infants. And those are infants with a birth weight less than a kilo, so very tiny babies. Historically, as we all know, the most common lipid emulsion used in the neonatal intensive care unit is 100% soybean oil or intralipids. And there's been a lot of concern about prolonged exposure to 100% soybean oil or interlipids. Um, we know it contains a lot of phytosterols, and it also lacks um, two really important polyunsaturated fatty acids, arachidonic acid and DHA, which are really important for brain or CNS and eye development. They're also really important for overall fetal and infant growth. So several years ago, the FDA approved um, a multi-oil lipid emulsion known as SMOF. Um, It contains four oils, soybean oil, MCTs or medium chain triglycerides, along with olive oil and fish oil. So the purpose of this study was to compare the outcomes, specifically the growth of extremely low birth weight infants who received intralipids or SMOF at two sites at our institution.
0: Excellent. And my second question is, why did you choose your specific study design?
1: Ideally, we would have done a randomized controlled trial where we randomized extremely low birth weight infants to either intralipids or to SMOF, which is the multi-oil lipid emulsion that contains 15% fish oil. But unfortunately, that would have been impractical and probably not feasible, um, particularly from a cost perspective. Equally important, as I mentioned um, several years ago, the FDA approved Um, SMOF for use in the United States. And it became very common practice in a lot of NICUs over the past couple of years to be utilizing this multi-oil lipid emulsion. So it was very unclear to our study team if we would have the equipoise to do a randomized controlled trial, because again, uh, many neonatologists felt strongly about their ability to choose the most suitable lipid emulsion for their patient, whether that was intralipids or SMOF. So what we did is we compared two groups And those two groups were extremely low birth weight infants who received exclusively soybean oil or interlipids. And the comparison group was extremely low birth weight infants who received SMOF or the lipid emulsion with 15% fish oil.
0: Excellent. That's very interesting about the issue of equipoise in terms of being able to even start uh, thinking about a randomized controlled trial. In your experience, what was the most difficult part of completing your study?
1: So this was a prospective observational study, but we also measured the polyunsaturated fatty acid content in the red blood cell membrane of extremely low birth weight infants, because we wanted to see how these two different lipid emulsions altered the fatty acid content of the erythrocyte or the RBC. So obviously that requires consent from families to allow their extremely low birth weight infant or critically ill infant to participate in a research study once families provided consent, we would have to collect blood at the same time as routine lab draws. And we all know that these very preterm infants are at high risk for anemia. They're also very critically ill. So we were unable to collect longitudinal measurements on every single participant. Um, in a perfect world, we would have gotten measurements every single week while the infants participated in this study. But at times, we could not collect those blood samples because the infant was too ill or anemic.
0: Sounds very challenging in terms of trying to get all the information and the information points that you had thought of in terms of the study itself. What was your most surprising finding?
1: So we had hypothesized originally that infants who received SMOF would have better growth at hospital discharge compared to preterm infants who received 100% soybean oil. Um, We didn't see a difference in growth measurements, so we measured weight, length, and head circumferency scores at discharge, and we did not see a difference when these two groups were compared. But what we did see a difference in was um, the incidence of cholestasis, which was measured by a conjugated bilirubin greater than one milligram per deciliter. Somewhat surprising, considering that the vast majority of infants were weaned off of PN by about three to four weeks, And in this study, we showed that the odds ratio for developing cholestasis that we had defined a priori um, was three times higher in those who received 100% soybean oil compared to those who received SMOF. Now, that wasn't statistically significant. The p-value was 0.059, if you believe in p-values. But certainly, it was something that we thought a little bit about because perhaps um, SMOF may offer hepatoprotection to some extremely low birth weight infants who require prolonged parental nutrition.
0: That's very interesting. The p-value issue, I think in your particular case, is difficult simply because you don't have 4,000 patients in, in each arm, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so it gets very difficult to interpret differences themselves, which I think is it's an interesting issue in and of itself in terms of the members of the research community who are doing projects on extremely low birth weight infants in terms of whether this type of an issue with the relatively small number of patients or some small number of subjects in the studies, whether or not a national or even an international registry is something that should be thought about or talked about to get enough of a sample size to be able to find small differences if they exist.
1: Yeah, No, absolutely. Absolutely. You're correct. Yeah. I think we have to be sometimes creative in how we design studies and an RCT may not be the most feasible or practical way to answer this question. For a lot of reasons, as you mentioned, cholestasis is, is rare and um, it's very difficult to study extremely low birth weight infants. Absolutely.
0: If you had to do the study over, what would you change?
1: So I think just getting at the, the issue you mentioned, I think there's a lot of limitations to the study. We're always more critical of our research in hindsight. So a larger sample size would have been ideal. Um, it was powered for a detection and growth, but not powered for a difference in cholestasis. And that would have not been feasible in this type of study. This was limited to sites um, within our institution at the University of California, Los Angeles. So obviously um, not generalizable perhaps to, to other sites beyond our boundaries here. As I mentioned earlier, it would have been great to measure um, polyunsaturated fatty acids, specifically DHA and arachidonic acid in all infants and beyond five weeks of PN or parental nutrition exposure. Um, And then lastly, I think we know that DHA and arachidonic acid are really important, but equally important are the downstream mediators that these fatty acids generate specifically the acosinoids. So it'd have been great to, to measure those bioactive lipid mediators.
0: Absolutely. Um, you're getting into some of the things that I'm interested in, in terms of looking at metabolomics in critically ill patients and the amount of information that one can tend derive from small amounts of blood, but that's not necessarily feasible unless you have all blood samples in all patients, et cetera, to be able to make inferences on that kind of interesting but complicated data. What advice do you have for other investigators?
1: Um, I guess I'd say a couple of things. I think um, this was certainly a team effort. And so um, I really believe in team science and collaboration. I think that's really important in trying to move the research forward. So this study was really initiated by two trainees um, Dr. Esther Kim, who's a neonatology fellow here, and then Lauren Lee, who's a medical student here at UCLA. So I think working with these two fantastic trainees really helped to get the science done and get this research published. The other thing, again, is I think I'm a big believer in mentoring um, junior faculty and trainees, and I think this this project really reflects that and, again, reflects an effort and a belief in team science. And then lastly, um, there's still a lot of questions, I think, that are unanswered about IV lipid emulsions and what's the most optimal lipid emulsion for specific patient populations. So I would encourage clinical scientists and basic scientists to continue to try to answer those questions. I think we have a long way to go.
0: Yeah, I know from my work with jpen i do receive a fair number of papers that are exploring this particular issue um so i i do think that there is uh, opportunity uh, for more studies but the limitations that you outlined earlier in terms of small studies are small sample sizes and difficulty getting samples etc make this research um, quite difficult to do so more more of uh, kudos should be Sent your way in terms of being able to actually get this project finished and published. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, One last question. What are you studying now?
1: Well, a a handful of things, but one thing I'll mention with regards to polyunsaturated fatty acids is that we and others have noticed an association um, between DHA and arachidonic acid and a disease called retinopathy of prematurity, which is a very common complication Um, in preterm infants and a a cause of preventable childhood blindness. And I think that this warrants um, further investigation. So we've done some basic science work in collaboration with Dr. Allison Chu here at UCLA, trying to uncover how these two fatty acids modulate retinopathy of prematurity. And then we've also done some clinical research in our ICUs looking at this association with um, DHA and arachidonic acid and ROP, So so more to come on that topic.
0: Excellent. It's getting into more of the mechanistic piece in terms of trying to explain the observations that you're making in your uh, observational studies themselves. Um, so I look forward to seeing, seeing more of your great work in the future. I thought that this paper was exceptional. I really enjoyed the design, the writing, uh, the the way it was uh, communicated, I thought it was a very well, well done project, well done team project, uh, as you alluded to. So I wanted to thank you, uh, Dr. Calkins, for your expertise. Um, it was a delight to discuss your paper. And we also want to thank you, our audience, for listening to this Aspen podcast. To support what we do, please share, subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. This is Kenneth Christopher, Editor-in-Chief of JPen. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.